0: This is, again, for the first time, with your host, Darren Redmond. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Again for the First Time podcast. Today is Sunday, September 10th. My plan is to have this out for your consumption, whether you're listening or viewing it or both on September 11th, I'd like to take a little bit of time and just talk to you for a couple minutes about what it was like for me personally that day. I was not at the towers when it happened, but I was in Manhattan, specifically NYU Medical Center, where my dad was having a procedure. I want to talk to you about what it's like all these years later and just some insight into what many of us still feel who were present on the island that we call Manhattan during that day. And as a a New Yorker in general or whether you live in Pennsylvania or Washington, D.C. or just anywhere. I will not be eloquent. Usually never am. And I'll probably stammer and mutter and do all sorts of kind of things. And again, I'm here at the studio of the home Song on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. That was a day. It was beautiful. Out and it was an election day, I believe a primary day. For governor, and my dad called me and asked me to escort him to NYU Medical, which was sort of—it wasn't midtown and wasn't downtown, 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 right in the middle. And um, of course, I did. ask my dad. I love him, and I miss him. By the way, he died in 2015, and. Um, He was having some uh, skin lesion, precancerous cells removed, and we show up, and I'm sitting there in the uh, waiting room for him as he walks in for the outpatient procedure, and all hell breaks loose. I'm going to stop and start, not for dramatic effect or anything like that, just because the way my brain works. I have not been back to the site. Uh, it pains my head to even think about going back there. I remember going there when my dad, out without John Lee, had his stories work in the pile have seen the devastation and seen those leaflets, have you seen, have you seen, have you seen, my father's missing, my significant other is missing, my son, my daughter, my wife, my mother, my father, my friend, they understand that they all vaporized and crushed, When I was sitting in that waiting room and you just, you're there, you, you know, it's just a regular procedure, but you just kind of say a nice prayer and you're sitting there and you're just kind of going on your day and thinking about some of my clients out of sea, some of which were in the World Trade Center, um, who died that day. Some of my clients died that day. I was working for a Career Builder at the time, handling the Manhattan accounts. And I was in uh, the World Trade Center. Just the previous week. But then you hear about... Some noise about a plane hit the Broadway Trade Center. And I didn't see it on television. I, I just heard on the radio. Um, because there was another television that I seem to remember in the lobby. Waiting room. And again, I want to say right now... If my memory is off, oh, Darren, it was blue, but you said pink and it was purple and it wasn't blue, or this is as I remember it. So that brings up something else, too. I remember recently I heard somebody talk about how since we're all receiving information differently, that there actually is no reality, which is just a whole lot of stuff I just don't want to believe or get into. Because those who died are dead. Those, that are, those are, that's reality. How those events happened can be up for perception and analysis and the way somebody filters information. But to say there's no reality and stop, just move on, believe what you want. So I heard that the first, that there was a plane crash, and I didn't give him much thought, other than the fact that that sounded weird, that there's no way on a beautiful, clear day that a plane can hit the World's Racer. It just can't happen. And I'm thinking a small little Cessna or something like that, Um, unless somebody was just being totally egregious in what they were supposed to be doing in terms of flight plans, because the whole world knows that you just don't do that. You go in the water. There's a lot of water around. You go in the water. But I wasn't giving it a lot of thought. And then people just started murmuring a little bit. And people started moving around in their chairs in the waiting room. And then... You heard on the radio, I believe, or by that time, some of them might have had a TV on in another room at the doctor's office in the hospital. I heard that another plane hit, that a passenger plane hit the other uh, tower. A member of my family watched that happen from their office building. We were talking today about the effects we have how it still affects us it makes us sad so right there I no, we were at war because if you're a New Yorker you know no plane hits the World Trade Center much less two and then there was some other reports of other things happening, we know what happened at the Pentagon, we know what happened in Pennsylvania those brave souls let's roll Let's roll. Remember that. So all this chaos is coming on, you get antsy. So even though you're not allowed to do so, I'd rather ask forgiveness and permission sometimes. I went up to the roof of NYU. We eventually got um, asked to leave there. And clear as hell. On a clear day, I was able to watch the two towers burning. I remember thinking that this is a moment that will leave an indelible mark on my soul. I immediately thought of Eleanor Roosevelt, who I think so politely and so justly and so rightly said about the Pearl Harbor Massacre, and that's what I'm calling it. We do not make this a national day of mourning, because in some way they win. And I thought of her words and found them comforting, that we remember this stuff individually and we honor and uh, all the first responders and the people that died whose only crime wasn't that they live in a state in a country rather that somebody else doesn't like for whatever reason I'm not getting into geopolitical stuff but their crime that they were convicted to be murdered was that they simply went to work without jumping ahead and my job at Career Builder and my Espanol Paquito, I was working to try to rebuild people's resumes who were undocumented, wonderful people who, who got out of the building in time, one of the towers in time. All the people that just lost everything. These people died because they went to work that day. what's the right thing to say to these people? I I don't know. But as I mentioned, I had clients who killed, murdered. Captain Crawford. I'll never forget you, because I love your family. Who went to my wedding. My beautiful wife. And then... We find out what happened to you. To so one of my childhood friends, I grew up. One of the best softball players I've ever seen play in schoolyard softball, lost his wife. The gentleman that I worked with at the company I was with prior to Career Builder lost his wife, and on and on. So now I'm on the roof of. NYU Medical. And we have a bunch of us just watching in awe. Because there was nothing else to do. And I remember thinking that there's some well-meaning people who are probably running up to the roof and hopefully helicopters will be able to get them. But as we know, that would not be possible. People just jumped because it made more sense than suffocating or being incinerated and slowly burning to death people made phone calls and this is not bluster we know this happened because we knew of the situation personally of a woman who was on the phone talking to her husband who was promising her that he would leave even though the announcements in the building were saying to stay in the second tower. Who died as he was on the phone with his wife. I was a big fan of... I, mean, I did not know him personally. But I was a big fan of Father Michael Judge. He on the news a lot of times and it was so comforting and if anybody knew of him you know the work that Father Judge did he was one of the first people killed when somebody jumped out of the building and fell on him as he was giving last rites to somebody else the gentleman that I went to high school with died one of the first, first responders in the building I'm from a family of police officers and the bar that I worked in for so long were policemen and firemen and I don't need to tell you the hundreds of New York's bravest who perished that day and over 23, 24 of New York's finest and Port Authority people and just people just trying to make a buck to pay a bill. Let's go up to the Catskills one weekend a year, or one week a year, or maybe go to Rockaway to show their family some love and affection. They just were killed. So now I'm back in the building, and believe it or not, I found a payphone that works, and I try to call my family. But the cell tower starts to melt away. As the towers burn. And. In the middle of the phone call. The phone died. My family thought I was dead. I didn't get to hear from them. Or talk to them. Because there was no cell service. For hours later. So now I am in. The hospital. And just waiting for my dad. Because. It's an old saying: control the controllables, right? What can I control? I can control that i from be for my dad when he gets out of surgery. Because these doctors, by the way, are still working on him as they should, but they had to be focused on their own family and how they're going to get out of, up the, get off the island. And then one of the most surreal things that I've ever seen, and I think of this sometimes at night when I can't sleep, I am in the lobby. And they start to set up the trauma unit for all of the wounded people who come in. Except no one came. And as I turn around, there's a young woman. The elevator's open. And she comes out in a wheelchair, being pushed in a wheelchair, holding a brand new beautiful baby. Born on this day. On this day of hell on earth in Manhattan, people running across the Brooklyn Bridge to try to get out, worrying that at any moment the bridge will blow up, she's holding this beautiful child, and that gave me so much hope, because that's what we have in this world, hope and faith, and I do have faith, and I am a believer. Push the situation forward. I see this, and I'm like, this child is giving me hope. And this mother just wanted to get this child home. What should have been the most beautiful day of her life, bringing the child home. There's no way she's gonna get a taxi. There was no way she's gonna find any way home. So my dad finally gets out. He's got scars on his face. And we meet. Somebody that um, my dad knows. Did some work with my dad. Now, my dad was already retired from the U.S. Marshall Service. Well, actually no, you know, he was retired from the NYPD, still working with the U.S. Marshal Service for damn. And he was also a chief warrant officer in the New York State Guard. And he immediately controlled the controls down as he always taught me or what you perceive that you can control. We had to get off that island because my dad wanted to go back, put on his gear and get to work. So we were able to get off the island because he was chief warrant officer and they did let us go through the tunnel. I'm jumping ahead a little bit. While this is going on, the first tower has fallen. And the gray ash is just making its way uptown. It was hell on earth. But I have to tell you something. There was panic, a lot of it. But there was a quiet understanding built somewhere in our DNA... I will survive this and I'll get through this because what other option do you have? Sun Tzu talks about in the art of war, right? Sometimes he'd put his fighters up against a cliff so they only could fight and they could not retreat. We can only retreat. And by retreat, that was our fighting. That was our surviving. But the number of boats, private boats, that came across and just took strangers off the island. Some gentleman living in Sheepshead Bay who just is scraping by, making some money, throwing crab pots into the water, gets in his little dinghy and goes out there and just picks up people that he doesn't know. I was never more proud of living and being a New Yorker than on that, in New Jersey. And when I say New Yorker, I mean Connecticut, New York, New Jersey. You know what I mean. Boston. You know what I mean. Philadelphia. Let's go. Where's the gentleman from Fresno said? Let's roll. Person helping person. This was a time when people didn't step over each other. It's very, it's very weird as I kick this hand there to see who concert people step on each other and kill each other. but on that day, people were very orderly, and it wasn't people going no, this line only, this line. Just people helping people intrinsically because everybody was scared. When all you have is hope, and in a lot of people's case, like my own faith, it's amazing how calm you get. There was a lot of calmness in that carnage. I had a friend of mine, it's funny, the NFL season starting today, Jets start tomorrow. I used to have season tickets and, and tailgate next to this gentleman who's in the second tower, first tower. And he talks about how it swayed, second tower. He talked about how it swayed. And that's the last thing he remembers until he was on 14th Street in Union Square. But he talks about how orderly everybody was. Panicked, yes. Fast, yes. But just, let's get out. And something deep and so sometimes... And again, I'm not advocating anything, whatever. But, you know, if something just doesn't sit right with you, don't let it sit right with you. The people that said in that second building, you know what, I'm leaving. Who left? Survives. And they didn't step over other people to do it. So later on, my dad actually... Well, once we got home, and it was wonderful to embrace my wife and see my daughter. My son wasn't born yet. And my dad got dressed. And his fatigues. And before he was even asked to, he just knew that he would be asked to work there. Got back to the pile. He ended up getting activated and working the pile and working in Staten Island. For about six or seven months. I mentioned all the people that passed, and those flyers that were up. I still hear them. They make that crumply paper sound. Flash forward, fast forward rather. The the one thing that we had though was this kind of understanding that we were not. Told by anybody other than them, this sense of brotherhood, this sense of kindness, this sense of grace to be kind to each other. And I think about what happened during the COVID situation a couple of years ago, and I would walk into a supermarket, and I'm not finger-pointing on anybody. Fear does some horrible things. Or snaps you into proper attention. And I just remember watching people step over each other to buy extra toilet paper and then show on their social media look how many I have Well, grandma has nothing. But you don't want, you want to buy some from me? Yeah, I'm going to overcharge you. This is not a bumper sticker. I don't talk politics from any political affiliation I want to see everybody be the best person they could be, be well be brave, and if you can't be brave just be a good listener don't try to solve everybody's problems well here's what I think let's stay here, sometimes I just need someone to listen I learned from working in recovery now for a couple of years and do a lot of stuff now behind the scenes. Sometimes the best thing you can do is be a listener. But be an active listener. I can't go back to 9-11. I've never seen a 9-11 movie. I don't want to watch a 9-11 documentary. I don't want to hear. And I don't want... And again, you do you. If conspiracy theories or going to museums and not equating it to... Or going downtown to show your, It's all okay. Because there is no right answer. Shame on you. And I say shame. Sort of metaphorically speaking. If you think your answer is the only right way. When it comes to how people process trauma. For me. I want nothing to do. With ceremonies. I know why they're there. I want nothing to do with going to a museum or seeing a movie. But if people want to do that, I think that's beautiful. I implore people to process the information, process their feelings, their thoughts, their their fears, those intangible things that gnaw at you. In any way that makes you feel better, that does not hurt you. So I ask you this. Let people be. And if a person needs to sit next to you and play with their phone, don't take it as an insult. Understand that they're just processing in the way that feels comfortable to them. A child that was left alone to sort of work out their feelings in a crib. Cry it out, kid. Cry it out. Don't worry, that kid will cry it out. That coping skill doesn't just go away 50 years later does it but you may want to sit near them and see how they're doing and however they're doing is okay I wish you nothing but peace and grace and faith I know that you were born for a purpose on this 9-11 I bid you peace We'll talk soon. This is Darren Redmond from the Again for the First Time podcast.